John chapter 10, verse 10, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? These are the words of Christ. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and to have it abundantly. Let's pray together. Father, we ask and pray that that happens to all of our young people that are leaving today or this month or this year or in the years to come as they go off into this world, that they may have life and have it abundantly and that they always remember that only happens through their Savior. No other place, no other person, no other path. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Today is Senior Recognition Sunday. <clears throat> so many of our high school seniors will be moving on and moving away in the weeks to come. Some will be staying longer than others, but eventually most of them will be moving away, perhaps not all. So I try to think long and hard about what I want to say to our seniors as though this is the last time I'll ever get to speak to you. For some of you, that may be the case. Or if not today, then again, very soon, you'll be leaving. What can I say to you before you go? What can I say from the heart before you go? So today's message is entitled, The Most Important Thing You Will Ever Hear From Your Pastor, So Remember It. <laughs> So if there's nothing you can remember from anything that I've ever preached any Sunday, I hope that you remember what I have to say this morning. So this week, just for fun, <clears throat> I did something that I have never done. I've got staff members who have done this, and I realize that you can do it. I've seen it in the news. We, have now, we now have access to what many are calling AI online, artificial intelligence. It's on a website called openai.com. Have you been there? Has anybody in here been there? <clears throat> so you go there and they have this AI, this chat bot that you can ask questions and talk to it, converse with it, and it will have a conversation with you. It will talk back. Uh, Chris uh, had it write a sermon. So if his sermon next time sounds a bit robotic, uh, you'll know where it came from. And so I was on openai.com, and again, I could ask it anything. So I asked it for suggestions to give me for graduation, graduating high school seniors, and this morning I will be giving none of those suggestions to you. <clears throat> but I would like to show you how it responded because I continued to ask it questions. I just had never had that opportunity before. I asked it all kinds of questions, and I asked the AI, which is called Chat GPT, this question, does life really matter? I actually asked it that question. I asked AI, does life really matter? And what came up surprised me so much, this, this is not a joke, this is actually its response. I took a picture of it. So here's a screen grab of my uh, monitor. And if you, that was his response. If you look down at the bottom, I enlarged that. It said this, 
Ultimately, the question of why life matters is a deeply personal one, and different individuals may find different answers based on their beliefs, experiences, and perspectives. It is up to each person to explore, define, and it stopped there. I kid you not, the white text all turned red. Suddenly, it said error in message stream, and there was an error-generating response. So that's right, I successfully crashed AI. <laughs> So tell Elon Musk not to be afraid, just call me, give him my number, or for you really old nerds, if in the future you come across somebody named Sarah Connor, tell her to call me about Skynet, okay? Crashed AI, my goodness. For our seniors and anyone facing the future, I have three important truths for you today that will define your life. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not a senior, at least not a senior in high school. Thank you, Michael, for that reminder. <clears throat> this applies to all of you just as much because all of you will go through different phases in life and different places in life. But these truths stand fast in your life. And these are from my heart. And they're very simple, just three of them, so it won't be lengthy. Number one, you can change the world. High school seniors and everybody else, you can change the world. I'm not saying you will change the world because some of you won't, but you can change the world and I'm going to prove it to you. So you can. Now you may be asking, Pastor, how can I, a 17 or 18 year old kid, change the world? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look with me in Acts chapter 17, verse 5. This is when uh, Christianity is brand new, and uh, the, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus has happened, and the gospel is spreading like wildfire through the apostles and the early Christians of that day. Well, they got in trouble for it everywhere they went, and this is no, uh, one of those times in Acts chapter 17. It says, but the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, listen to what they shout, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, if you look out into the world today and people say, those awful Christians... They're making a mess. They're, 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 it's so destructive and they're anti-Christianity. It didn't take 2,000 years for the world to decide that. It didn't take 200 years. It didn't take five years. Just almost immediately, people became alarmed over Christianity. And so they, they did what they do today. They formed a mob and then selected people out of the rabble to accuse the Christians. Does that sound familiar? And they, this is their actual accusation. These men who have turned the world upside down. Wow. They had no idea. I wish, oh, I wish I could take those very rabble rousers through history, bring them here and put them on the front seat 2,000 years later. They have no idea how upside down the world has been turned. Actually, if you want to be technical, the world was already upside down. Jesus Christ has turned it right side up. 
That's what he does. But I found it interesting. In other words, the whole world is different because of these people. And they're right. You can change the world. However, young people, you will only do that through Jesus Christ. What is so powerful, so radical that it can change the world? What could you possibly do or say that would turn the world upside down? I think one of the more famous people of our lifetime is a man named Steve Jobs. As you know, Steve Jobs is known basically for three things in his life. The creation of the Macintosh computer, and it was revolutionary. Secondly, it was the creation of the iPod that played music digitally, so that instead of a few dozen songs or a few hundred songs with your record player or eight track or cassette player, older people, you can now have access to millions of songs. In fact, I would say virtually every song that has ever been recorded at the touch of a button. That, that was Steve Jobs that started that, made it digital. And number three, he created the iPhone. And you might say, as many do, Steve Jobs is an example of a tremendous success Story, somebody who changed the world, but did he really? You know, I guarantee you, Steve Jobs went to his judgment day as you and I will as well. And God says, what did you do that was of value in the world with your life? And Steve Jobs says, well, I made the Mac. And God says, you get zero credit, I'm not interested well, I did the iPod, people can listen to music, and I made the iPhone, and God will not be impressed at all. He will say that those things mean nothing. Hard to imagine, nothing. And you think, well, he should get some credit. Really? Really? He is partly responsible through his ingenuity for the device that's in your hand, in your pocket, or in your purse right now now. Is that a good thing? Listen to me. You and I, we are slaves to that device. It has enslaved us. Don't raise your hand, but how many times or have you ever left your home to go to school or go to work? You realized you didn't have your phone. You immediately turned the car around, went home and got your phone because you can't go one day without it. Cherry and I are getting ready to go on a mission trip to the Philippines along with some of you. And after our mission trip is over, because Terry is from the Philippines, we decided to do something that we've never done. We're taking our three children, all three, with us. So there goes all of our savings. <laughs> because we want our children to meet their aunts and uncles and their cousins in the Philippines and see places where their mother is from. And I think it's important for them to see how, uh, what kind of world their mother's from and how the rest of the world lives. And so we're going to do that, and uh, as, we, as I thought about that just this last week, wasn't thinking about this sermon, just on a side note, I really want our children to engage in that world. I want them to talk to their cousins and aunts and uncles and relatives and friends. I want them to engage with the church members of First Faith Baptist Church there in So'ok, there in Iloilo. I want them to be connected. The problem is they're already connected to their phone. 
As Terry and I are as well, we spend way much more time, and it is hard to believe that, listen to me, we don't have to have a phone. <laughs> I know that's radical, it's crazy talk. When I grew up, there were no phones. When I became pastor of this church, not a single member of the church had a cell phone. I'm that old. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago, I want to, let's put it that way. It is remarkable. It never occurred to me as I drove down the road, do I have my phone? Nobody had a phone. And it was liberating because if somebody wanted to call you, they had to wait till you were at work at home. And there was plenty of time to talk when you got there. It is the way that it is now. Now, we can't go five minutes without it. You can't even go to the bathroom without checking Facebook or you're chatting with a friend or checking the weather or we are so connected. This week, again, not realizing I was going to say this, I said to Cherry, I said, honey, when we go to the Philippines, I really want the kids to engage in the trip and not be distracted. What if we left our cell phones here for nearly three weeks? And then I started thinking, oh, and she started thinking, because, you know, it was a great idea. What if somebody gets lost? What if we get separated? What if I need to talk to the pastor of the church or they need to call me or text me and coordinate things? What if we're going to meet up at the mall later? What if uh, this happens or that happens? Then I started thinking, well, uh, you know, we've got to check the weather and see what the weather's going to be like. My camera's on my phone. I'm going to take jillions of pictures with my phone. And I realize, oh my goodness, I'm a slave. We are slaves. I can't get rid of the thing. So thank you, Steve Jobs. Did that really help? How would you like to change the world in a way that Steve Jobs never imagined? Young people, you can do that. You can change the world in Christ. I do want you to know this about that. The only thing that will ever change the dark is light. The only thing that will ever overpower hate is love. And the only thing that will ever overcome evil is good. Light, love, and good is the definition of your Savior. For in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it, and they won't understand the light in you either. Number two, remember everything is relationships. Now, you'll probably never hear me talk to high school seniors without me saying this. You may have heard this general idea before, but it applies to everybody in this room, everybody you've ever met in your life, and everybody you will ever meet in your life. Everything is relationships. More important than careers, money, traveling, strength, education, wisdom, pleasure, good health, great looks, or longevity in your life. Everything is relationships. You can live to be 120 years old, hypothetically, but without relationships, it will be a miserable 120 years. 
You can be successful as Steve Jobs was, but if you read about his or watched his biography, you know that relationships were a huge problem for him. He had a child he had nothing to do with, out of wedlock, a woman that he would not connect to and commit to. He had problem after problem. People in his, in his companies thought of him as a complete jerk because he was a jerk. He was egotistical and hard to get along with. Steve Jobs was brilliant when it came to technology, but he missed the boat concerning relationships. And it took him a lifetime to realize that that was more important than all the other stuff. Don't forget, everything is relationships. I know you have big plans, but if they're not relationships, they're a complete waste of time. In Matthew chapter 22, somebody came to Jesus one day to test him. Uh, look with me in Matthew 22, verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. I always find it interesting and entertaining when somebody wants to test the creator of the universe <laughs> with a question. Here's the question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, listen to what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And he added this, the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is saying to that young man, that expert, listen, we have a lot of, of laws, we have a lot of prophets, we have a lot of teachings in the Old Testament, but you can boil it all together, sum it all up into these two statements, these two truths, that we are here for the purpose to love God, that is, have a relationship with God, a loving relationship with God, and to have a loving relationship with others. Love God, love others, that's it. And that's what will give your life meaning or no meaning. Whether or not you learn that important truth, everything is relationships. Nothing else matters if you can't get that one right. Number three, not only, um, not only can we change the world, not only is everything relationships, but lastly, and this is important, young people, settle your faith. Settle your faith. And I, I put it that way for a reason. Joshua was deeply concerned in the Old Testament about the tendency of the Israelites to abandon their faith and follow whatever God looked to good to them at the time. I was discussing with my class on Wednesday and Thursday nights. I teach a Bible study on Wednesday nights, and I teach the same study to a Sunday school class here at the church on Thursday nights at 6.30. You're welcome to join with us. If you miss Wednesday or you can't be there on Wednesday at 6.30, then come up Thursday on 6.30, uh, and we have a good time together in, in both times. But it is amazing as you study the Old Testament how generation after generation, hundreds of years after hundreds of years after hundreds of years, the Israelites kept following false gods. 
They couldn't get it through their head. It's, it's extraordinary. King after king, leader after leader, and they just kept abandoning God and following after false gods. The truth is, they didn't see it that way. They didn't see it as abandonment of God. They still wanted to say good things and go worship God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they wanted to add other gods. Gods of fertility, gods of, of produce so that they would have good crops or uh, gods of, of whatever so that they could have whatever they needed or wanted in their life. They had God, but they added to him. And God says, no, I am a jealous God. One of the Ten Commandments, you will have no other gods before you. So this world will try to lie to you and dupe you into thinking that you can have this God, the God of the Bible, and other gods as well. They don't call them gods anymore. We call them other things, and it may be something electronic. It may be something financial. It may be something along the lines of fame or greed or lust or whatever it is. But it is a false God if you put it above God. So settle your faith. Joshua in chapter 24, verse 15, that famous passage, decides to get together with all of his people and have an announcement. He wants to confront them with this once and for all. So Joshua 24, 15 says, this is Joshua speaking, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now Joshua didn't have to be a brilliant theologian. He wasn't uh, seminary trained. He was just a man, a husband, a father, and a leader saying, you do what you choose to do, but let me tell you, I've settled the matter in my mind. I'm going to follow God. I've settled the matter in my family's mind. We are going to follow God. It's done. It's over. And he challenged them with this. You choose today what God you're going to serve. Listen, young people, if you don't choose today, you put it off, then the world will choose for you. <clears throat> for the months and years that I've known you, all of you graduates, I've tried to share with you honestly and openly. I have not been lying to you. Please, please be aware of what the world does. Those in the world, apart from Christ, decide what they want to do morally and personally, and then they will adapt, adopt, or fabricate a spiritual belief system that adapts to whatever lifestyle they've already chosen. They will create their own religion for what they want to do, based on what they want to do. People have been doing this since the very beginning, and it has not changed. But know this, it is all a lie. It is all designed to make you and them feel better about whatever you or they want to do. It's a false stamp of approval to help you justify any moral behavior, any attitude. Hate, lust, 
greed, even violence is all rebranded to sound like something good, even noble. And most people you will meet, including college professors, have done the same thing. They live a lie. And to justify their lifestyle, uh, you can expect, and frankly, they will expect you to join them in their lie. They may even demand that you adopt false gods along with them. This week, this week in the news, I saw a story about two college students who sued their professor. Did you see that story? Their professor, who is a far-leaning, left-leaning liberal, <clears throat> required her students to pay $95 each during the semester in order to pass their class. She said just blatantly, I will fail you if you don't give me the $95 per student. And she told them where the $95 was going. Can anybody tell me? Planned Parenthood. So she forced her students, even her Christian students, to give $95 apiece to go to pay for abortions. Two of the students who were Christians sued. Well, the school found out, and of course, there was all kinds of backlash, and so this is what the university did. They didn't undo it. They simply, out of their own pockets, uh, the university quietly paid off the students and refunded the $95. But two of the students who are Christians, they were very convicted because they said even though the university paid back the money, it, it, their, their $95 still went to pay for an abortion. And it just tore them up because the teacher wanted to force that ideology on them. And that's what your professors will do. That's what this world will do. They will do everything they can to get you to join in to the ranks of whatever they believe. Settle the matter today. Everybody in history has been this way. They believe truth is somehow democratic. That is, if the majority believe it and accept it, then it must be true or becomes true. So they want you to be with the majority because if enough people support the lie, then somehow, magically, the lie becomes truth. But a lie is always a lie, no matter how many people believe it. They live in the dark, and they want you to live in the dark because they hate the light. As John said in chapter 1 and chapter 10, the world doesn't understand light. They don't get it. And they will do anything, say anything, to get you to live in the dark with them. Not only will you be pressured to adopt a lie and call it the truth, but it will be very tempting. It will permit you encourage you to do whatever you want, no matter how vile or destructive in your life, but in the end, it will lead to your ruin. It's empty, dark, without hope, and without joy. Always remember the promise that Jesus gave to you in John chapter 10, verse 10. Back to our passage for today. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants you to have an abundant life. Remember, 
also that your parents' faith is not enough. It must become your faith. Young men, and most of our graduating seniors are men, listen to me. Don't wait for your future spouse to be the faithful person in the family. Don't wait for them to drag you to church. You decide. Joshua didn't say, well, my wife made me tell you this. <laughs> Wouldn't that sound odd? No, he stood up. This world's confused about what makes a man. Here's what makes a man. A man that stands up in a dark crowd and says, you know what you want to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a man. Be a man. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, <laughs> Jesus has this interesting, beautiful encounter with these blind men, and he heals them, and it says this, As Jesus went out from there, or went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and didn't say, you're healed. Here's what he says. According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. One great truth that will determine the success or failure of your entire future, your entire life is in these words. According to your faith, it will be done to you. You're about to go out into a world that is going to tell you that God doesn't exist, that religion is silly, or worse, that your Christian faith is a hate crime. You need to decide right now what you believe. By the way, faith is not a virus. You're not, you can't sit there and think, well, the faith virus just hasn't caught on to me. I, I, haven't, I ain't got it. Faith is a choice. When Joshua said that, he didn't say, oh, Lord, give me some faith. I need some faith today. And if faith comes along, then no, it's not a virus. It's not a cold. You can't catch it. You decide whether or not you're going to be a young man or a young woman of faith or not. I once led a pastor's conference in a mountainous area of the Philippines. Pastors came in from all over to see the tall, red-headed, white guy <laughs> come and teach them about how to preach and how to be a pastor. Virtually none of them had been to seminary. It's a difficult financial challenge for people in the Philippines. But among all of these pastors was an elderly woman near pushing 80 years old. I mean, she was very elderly. Tenacious woman. Now, we don't have female pastors here in the Southern Baptist Convention, and it was unusual, and it was interesting to see among all those men this elderly woman sitting there. And it wasn't uh, because she was a big on women's lib that she demanded to be a pastor. I don't even think she knew what women's lib was, or that she demanded that women get to be clergy, and she made a long theological argument about that. It wasn't that either. At her elderly age, she walked each week up into the mountains to pastor a little church. 
Not because she was the right person for the job, but because she was the only person for the job, the men wouldn't do it. And she loved that little church, and she wanted them to hear from the Word of God. So every week, month after month, year after year, this little old lady would walk up that mountain slowly, painfully, because she was a person of faith and wanted to share the love of Jesus with others. She wanted them to hear. And now, great is her reward in heaven. May your faith be like hers. No one prodding her to do it. No responsibilities. No one scolding her and saying, you, you, uh, you have to do this. On the contrary, they were probably saying every week, I can't believe you came back again. I can't believe you made that walk again. But she was a person of faith. I guarantee in the kingdom of heaven, she's far more famous than Steve Jobs will ever be. You can change the world. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would help our young men and women today, as well as everyone else here, to become men and women of faith. That we settle the matter in our hearts today. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, you know the onslaught that these young people are going to have when they go out into this world. They will be mocked. Their faith will be criticized. They will be called names. It's always been that way. And we remember that Jesus told his disciples, remember, they don't hate you, they hate me. And I pray that you would help our young men and women be ready for that day. May they settle the matter now. Thank you for them. We ask and pray that you would change the world through them. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Listen to me, adults. As you're praying, I want to challenge you. Would you be willing to commit to praying for these young men and women? If we don't, who will? The professors? No. Their colleges? No. Their friends? Listen, you as a church, would you be willing to pray for these young men and women? They need your prayers. It will give them strength. It will give them power from on high. Would you make that commitment this morning? Maybe you just need to come and get on your knees and say, Lord, I'll lift this young man, this young woman up to you. May your spirit empower them, protect them, guide them, and keep them. May they change the world. Would you be willing to do that today? Young people, this is the hour. Now is the time. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Settle the matter now. Joshua knew that they were going to leave and they were going to be tempted to follow after false gods. It was going to be so tempting. And he knew they needed to settle the matter or they would fail. It's no different today. Will you settle it in your heart? No one's looking around. Would you stand? All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. Everyone, as you stand, as you continue to pray, maybe God is calling you to join with First Baptist Church and you want to make this your, your church home. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. And today, say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to start following Christ. 
Or maybe you want to come and pray for these young men or young women. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. As we pray, you come.